open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. Uh, just going to give a quick update on what's happened over the last couple weeks. Uh, we don't have a guest, but we have hit a pretty significant milestone with 450 uh, this week. So, you know, that's kind of exciting. Over the last couple weeks, we had two big conferences. Uh, the big one was in Hong Kong. It was the second scaling Bitcoin conference. And then I actually attended the Latin American Bitcoin conference in Mexico City, the third annual one. <clears throat> the big news out of Hong Kong was Dr. Peter Wuhe, uh discussed his segregated witnesses solution. And Luke Jr. was able to figure out a way to get this implemented as a soft fork. And so what it does is it takes the signature data in a transaction and uh, gets it out of the block so that will effectively increase the capacity of each block uh, by about 4x. So, you know, it's, it's a way that we're able to use the block size more efficiently uh, without actually increasing it. And this is a, a tremendous uh, movement forward, I think. Uh, you know, the easy way, the lazy way, the way that doesn't take a lot of brain power is to just increase the block size. But if you can increase the efficiency that you use the block size and optimize that to the greatest degree possible and then increase the block size, then you get a huge scaling effect. Uh, for example, if the block size were increased to 8 megabytes, you get to multiply that 8 megabytes by the 4x increase in efficiency. So you really get a 32x uh, increase in uh, the effectiveness. And so this is just a really, really good uh, solution that Dr. Peter Wool has come up with. And both him and Greg Maxwell had been talking about this uh, months and months ago. Uh, so what I'm really kind of surprised about is, you know, why didn't some of the uh, other developers kind of get this or uh, propose this as a solution before these guys? You know, some of the, the developers that are been agitating a lot more loudly about uh, increasing the block size. Like, why didn't they come up with this? You know, it it doesn't seem. Uh, yeah, I mean, if they're so smart and if they're they're such experts with Bitcoin, like, why didn't they figure this out? Why they have to distract uh, Doctor Woola from working on other important things? Um, but nevertheless, here we go. Uh, it's going to be exciting. I think that that's uh, we've got a clear path forward on how we can increase the efficiency of how we use the current block size. And then we can look at, you know, slowly increasing the block size if needed, you know, maybe Dr. Back's 248 plan or something. Uh, out of South America, I was tremendously impressed with what's going on down there. 
I've been to all three of the Latin American Bitcoin conferences. The first one was held in Buenos Aires. The second one was held in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And this one was held in Mexico City. The idea behind the locations was Argentina had the largest population and community, so we had it there. And then we wanted to build the Brazil community, so we had the conference in Rio. Well, the first one in Buenos Aires, we had maybe 600 people attend, uh, which maxed out the capacity of the place. And then in Rio, you know, down market, the price was down. We had maybe 200 people attend, more or less, 150 to 200. It was pretty small, uh, but it was high quality. It was pretty much everybody had their own Bitcoin startup. And they got to network and interact with all the people in Argentina. And so going back uh, to the third one here in Mexico City, I noticed that Mexico's Bitcoin community and startups, they're about in the same place that Brazil's startups were a year ago. And the, these Mexican startups uh, in other Latin American countries like Colombia, uh, Chile, etc., they're able to uh, have you know, strike business deals and network with, with these other companies. And, uh, and Mexico is pretty much where Brazil was a year ago. Well, where's Brazil, you know, a year later? I would say of anywhere uh, in the world, Brazil is probably where the most Bitcoin activity is happening. Every metric across the board, it seemed to be up about 20x. You know, whether that's page views on websites in Portuguese, whether that's uh, number of users in meetup groups, Facebook groups, uh, exchange volume, number of startups, all this stuff. Uh, what's causing it? I think a lot of it is had its catalyst with Winsys, Caceres's uh, Taringa integration with Zappo. That's getting Bitcoin into the hands of people down there. But also, as I was talking with everybody on the ground, uh, Venezuela and Argentina, which are on the two sides of Brazil, you know, they have absolutely massive problems uh, with their currencies and their just everything's a mess, right? So that's bleeding over into Brazil. And we do, we will have some uh, interviews with some of these uh, Brazilian uh, players down there. Uh, but also, the Brazilian market itself needs Bitcoin. Uh, for example, some of these import-export businesses down there, in order to wire money internationally when you're in Brazil, you have to submit for approval to the central bank for every single wire. And it can take up to 45 days to get it approved. Uh, so, you know, that becomes a massive mess. And yet you can send your Bitcoins out, they get converted into yuans, and you pay for your electronics just instantly done. You know, so there's a use case. Uh, the Brazilian economy is in an absolute mess. The banking system is in the middle of imploding right now. The real is devaluing, and the Mexican peso is devaluing also. It's at an all-time low. And what we're finding is that Bitcoin's first network effect, the speculation, the store of value function, is really getting picked up by people in Latin America, whether it's Argentina, Mexico, or Brazil. Uh, for example, one guy that I talked to, he, you know, very sharp dressed Latin, uh, there in Mexico City, uh, came in from Mexico. Uh, you could tell that he is very professional. And, and I, I was out actually just walking around with Michael Turpin and we're, we wanted to go get lunch and he happened to be there. So we invited him and he came to lunch with us and helped us order our pescado, you know, our fish. Uh, very helpful. And so we're just talking with him. And he runs a business where 
he sells uh, health supplements in, in like 2,200 stores in Mexico. He has 60 employees, and the Mexican peso has been devaluing, and it's really difficult to use the banking system down there, and there's lots of fees. In fact, something like only 17% of Mexicans have a bank account to begin with. So, like, Bitcoin really does solve a lot of problems, and they have a young average uh, age for population, so they're technologically savvy also. And so I was talking with him. I was like, well, how long have you been in Bitcoin? And he's like, oh, about three months. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, well, you know, why do you like it? Why do you use it? He's like, oh, it, you know, it's just so much better than the banking system. It's so much more efficient. Uh, I'm trying to transition my business over as much as possible into Bitcoin because it's so much easier to make, make payroll instead of going and getting cash and all this stuff. And, and I like it to, to save my money in instead of the Mexican peso because uh, the Mexican peso is going down. And I was like, you know, if you don't mind me asking, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of interested, like, how big is your business? You know, like, how much are you buying and holding in terms of Bitcoin? He's like, oh, I buy about 50 Bitcoins per month just to hold. And I was like, man, that's interesting. You know, $20,000 a month of his retained earnings, he just socks away into Bitcoin. And uh, I found that to be a very common theme among the Latins down there. You know, you have very successful professional people there. And if you can do business in Latin America, you can probably be successful at business anywhere because your infrastructure is just so poor that you have to be a real survivor uh, to be able to do business down there. And uh, that's what we're finding in Brazil also is these people with businesses are just buying and hoarding Bitcoin, especially with this looming... Uh, banking system implosion uh one of the guys down there you know he he has hotels and i was talking with him about the hotels and he's like man you don't understand the the banking system in brazil is going to completely collapse and i'm going to be in bitcoin he's he's he he bought his first bitcoin six months ago he's like i'm going to be in bitcoin i'm started using bitcoin i pay for all my airplane tickets with bitcoin and my hotels I'm going to be in Bitcoin, and I'm going to laugh at everybody who has their money in the banking system, and then I'm going to buy up all the hotels. And I was like, okay, uh, well, how many Bitcoins, you know, if you don't mind me asking, you know, how many Bitcoins are, you, are we talking about here? He's like, oh, well, you know, I, I spend about 60% of my retained earnings uh, buying Bitcoins every month, and it's about 1,000 Bitcoins a month just to, just to hold. And, you know, that's what I'm talking about. When we get people who are buying and holding Bitcoin, who are hiring Bitcoin for the monetary sovereignty, for the independence from the financial system, for the store of value characteristic, a thousand Bitcoins a month, I mean, that's that starts becoming material. And that's just one hotel person in Brazil who runs hotels, uh, you know, earns a couple million dollars a year buying over half of it, he's spending over half his retained earnings to invest in Bitcoin, to hold it, to keep it out of the banking system. And, you know, then as the Bitcoin price goes up, he's able to buy more hotels and acquire all his competitors, basically. And so uh, there, there were about, there were at least five uh, Braz people from Brazil who uh, were buying between 50 and 100 Bitcoins every month with the earnings from their businesses in order to just sit on it. 
because uh, it's safe, it's independent from the banking system, it's portable, it's programmable, it's easier to secure, uh, it's fungible, they can get it into euros or dollars if they need to. Uh, Bitcoin really has a use case and a purpose for these people. Uh, so I was very excited about that. The other thing uh, about Latin America is that it it's just such a mess down there, financial, the financial, the monetary system, the currency systems, that in my opinion, once, once they start understanding and using Bitcoin down there, it's just going to catch on like wildfire. And that's what we're seeing at BitPay. Uh, Alberto Vega, he's our general manager for Latin America. He gave a presentation and he's showing the the charts in terms of transactions processed and all this stuff. And Latin America is orders and orders of magnitude uh, higher than Europe, North America, or uh, Asia. And you know nothing's really happening in Africa, anyways. So Bitcoin is alive and well. The Latin America is is learning about it, understanding how to use it, why they want to use it, and they're they're really putting real money into it. So that's in that's exciting. Um, also, out of Hong Kong, you know, we've got lots of Bitcoin miners that are very interested in this scaling debate. They have a community. They're part of the Bitcoin community. They're real Bitcoiners. They like the ethos. They're you know they're 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 friendly with each other. They help each other. They want to learn how Bitcoin works and how they can best help build Bitcoin and secure Bitcoin uh, to help people who want to hire it, you know, for things like this. And and that's also why Chinese are hiring it, because the Chinese yuan is devaluing. And now with its inclusion in the IMF, uh, there's there's going to be even more reason for the Chinese to use Bitcoin as the conduit to move capital out of China and also to move capital out of the yuan. So all of this is hugely, hugely bullish for Bitcoin. Additionally, we're seeing an increase in transactions. We're seeing an increase in transaction fees. Uh, and, and a couple days ago, so Wednesday, I wrote an article, The Rise of the Fourth Great Bitcoin Bubble, uh, it's on rundagold.com. I'd recommend you know anybody who's interested go read it because the hundred billion dollar question is: Are people willing to spend money to hire Bitcoin? And the way we see that is with the transaction fees. And I reference an article I wrote years ago uh, looking at transaction fees, and then we take a look at it today. And December of 2012, which is the last time I wrote a a big article on, you know, predicting another big rise in the price. Uh, the 200 day moving average was $6 and 20 cents. And we were spending $150 a day us on transaction fees. Uh, 2015, the 200 day moving average is $271 and we're spending $7,000 a day, uh, on transaction fees. You know, transaction fees are really the only metric where we're able to see concretely how much people are willing to spend to use the Bitcoin network. And so I like looking at transaction fees. You know, I everybody's got an opinion, but I like seeing opinions that are backed by money, uh, backed by people willing to pay something uh, to, to express that opinion. And transaction fees help us uh, discern that. So, you know, in this context of 
the block size of uh, scaling Bitcoin of all of these things, you know, keeping in mind the transaction fees is, a, I think, an important thing uh, for gauging user sentiment. Additionally, you know, when 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 we look at the interest rates, the Fed might be hiking interest rates. Uh, gold actually performs very well in rate hike environments. It's kind of ironic and counterintuitive, uh, but we, you know, if we see a rate hike and we see sloshing of money around and there's so much excess liquidity and nobody knows what to do with it and there's a lot of debt out there and we're going to start we're seeing a massive uh, debt implosion starting especially in the high yield junk uh, stuff you know a year ago people were companies were able to to issue high yield junk at six percent interest rates and they're already up to nine percent interest rates and it's just getting started Carl Icahn says and so you know, being in an equity-based asset like gold or uh, Bitcoin, it, it's this next round of the credit contraction. That's where you're going to want to be. And the ironic thing is like, you know, when, when the price of gold goes up, well, guess what? That brings on more supply of gold. You have more gold mines. You produce more gold ounces every year. Uh, you know, that. And it only makes sense, right? You increase the price and you're going to have more supply of a particular commodity. Well, guess what? If we if this next bull market starts in Bitcoin and it really starts running, I mean, Bitcoin could double or triple in price. And you know what's going to happen? The supply of Bitcoin is going to get cut in half with the mining reward. You know, go to BitcoinClock.com. We're looking at about six months, six to seven months, and we're going to have the new annual worldwide production of Bitcoin get cut in half. I mean, imagine if that happened in the gold market, if we went from 2,500 uh, tons per year, uh, got cut to 1,250. Uh, and yet that's what's going to happen with Bitcoin, no matter what the price is. And we're talking... It's a six billion dollar market cap right now. Its all time high was about fourteen billion in terms of market cap. Uh, I mean, we look at Amazon. That's a couple hundred billion dollar market cap. Uh, Twitter's like twenty something billion dollar market cap. So we could have an increase of four x and just be the size of Twitter. Uh, in turn, comparing it to other. Uh, currencies were about the size of the Guatemalan peso right now in terms of money supply. And compared to gold, Bitcoin is absolutely tiny, uh, $6.3 trillion if you multiply the current price of gold by the above ground stockpiles. And yet Bitcoin, you know, $6 billion. It's, it's, there's absolutely no capital in Bitcoin right now. You know, there, there, there are no Brazilians and Argentinians and Vietnamese and Chinese who are holding Bitcoin instead of holding gold and, and other stuff like that. Van Gogh paintings and diamonds and, and all this stuff like Bitcoin. Bitcoin has so, so much potential. Uh, and, you know, we need to see that hundred billion dollar market cap on Bitcoin to have the depth and the liquidity, uh, for this next phase uh, that's going to be coming to Bitcoin. And what I mean by that is this next phase of everybody who's gotten a billion dollars of venture capital investment. There was 2 million in 2012. There's like 95 million in 2013. There's 350 million invested by VCs in 2014. There's about 450 million invested in 2015. This billion dollars of venture capital, 
been working on solutions, working on software, building infrastructure. I mean, think about it. The last time we had a bull market, Mt. Gox was the only exchange out there pretty much. Yeah, and now we have licensed uh, trust companies with ITBIT and Gemini. We have Kraken with a Bayfin regulated bank. We have ETFs with uh, uh, the Winklevoss ETF potentially getting approved here event- uh, one of these days. We got uh, Barry Silbert's uh, Grayscale ETF. That had like 60,000 volume yes- uh, yesterday. So, you know, we, we, have, we have exchanges, local exchanges popping up all over the place. Uh, there's a lot of liquidity for Bitcoin. There's a lot of infrastructure that, you know, we got all types of wallets. We got all types of payment processors with Coinbase and BitPay and uh, GoCoin and across the board. We have wallets. We have uh, we have use cases. We have industry. We have people accepting it. We have people using it. Uh, we have people using it for stores of value, for receiving payments, for running their businesses. Uh, there's a real industry here. There's really people working on it. And I think that this de-dollarization and the non-Western countries that have horrible infra- financial infrastructure, uh, they're, they've got the message. They've learned about Bitcoin. They've started using it. Everybody's, you know, starting to use it. And when we have these, when, when we have a community, when we, the sheer number of people who are readers or looking at websites and stuff like that, um, all of that becomes potential capital that can flow into Bitcoin. And to give you a comparison, uh, you know, some of the websites that I'm involved with, uh, if we that are Bitcoin only, if we look at the Google Analytics, the number of unique visitors and page views at the very height of the bubble in 2013, the very highest days, we are currently averaging the same number of page views and unique visitors back in September, October of this year that we were averaging at the very height of the bubble in 2013. So you know, the conclusion to draw from that is the the base that we started with before the, before the big bubble to 1,200 a Bitcoin, that base, uh, the, the, the base today is now at the very height of that bubble. Right? Does that make sense? So if the base was, say, 100 unique visitors per day before the 2013 run-up, and it went from 100 unique visitors to, say, 2,000, well, now we're starting with 2,000 unique visitors a day on these websites, and we could see it running up to 40, 40, 50,000 unique visitors. So just the sheer number of people who are going to be involved in this next bubble, it's going to be big. And everybody's heard of Bitcoin. Everybody's like... Oh man, I wish I hadn't missed out on the bubble. Guess what? It's going to happen again. It's going to be pretty funny. And then everybody's going to start chasing the rabbit and there's going to be fear of missing out. And everybody's going to be asking their friends like, Oh, you know that Bitcoin thing? Like, how do I buy some Bitcoins? You know, it's, it's really going to be fun. And so that's where we're at. I think, I think it's getting ready to be another monstrous run. We've seen the price already rise from about an absolute low of like 180, 200 this year. Uh, it's already up to 450. Uh, this could be a big one. You know, this could be a big rise. Uh, and we put in the hard work. We've shaken, shaken out the, the weak hands, the, the poor businesses and startups in the, in the space with bad management. They've got weeded out. 
the factors of production have got shifted to the good entrepreneurs. They've gotten funded by the VCs and uh, all engines are ready for go. And so here we go. You know, it's going to be fun. Anyways, that's just the wrap up uh, for the podcast this week. I hope everybody uh, gets ready and has a fun holiday weekend and talk with you guys later. Get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. <laughs>